1938, Harvard University began a study to discover the secret of happiness. And it followed 724 participants. Uh, they were, I guess, early teenagers at the time, and it followed them through their entire lives. Uh, so they've been doing it ever since, until I think the findings were produced in October of 2017. So that, that's a long period of time. Uh, and what they found, one of their main findings in this whole long, huge study of all the things that bring happiness and all that kind of stuff was that there is a strong association between happiness and close relationships. According to Dr. Robert Waldinger, personal connection creates mental and emotional stimulation, which are automatic mood boosters. And then he credited that with improving health and longevity. Personal connection and relationships. Essentially, that's what we've been talking about, right? Is a personal connection with God and our relationship with God. Now, we're not talking about it for the sake of happiness, but today we're talking about it for the sake of joy. And I think those two things are very different. Sometimes people use those terms sort of interchangeably, but I don't think they are. Uh, so in order to talk about joy, we're gonna sort of define the word a little bit. Some might say that joy is a good feeling you get when good things happen. And so, you know, we have Christmas and we're all around eating food together and opening presents and that's joy because there's these sort of happening, good things happening in those moments. And others might think that joy is merely sort of a higher form of happiness, sort of like there's a tier and happiness is one level and if you reach the next level, that's joy. Um, but as people who trust in Jesus, as our Savior and King, we recognize that joy is something very different. Happiness is something that we experience as a result of a situation. Something, it, it can come, it can go, it can change, it can move around, we can have happiness and then not have happiness, and, and it's just all based on what we're going through and then how we react to that, right? But joy is different. It doesn't fluctuate based on circumstances. Joy is an orientation of the heart, that language we've been using. And it's based on our relationship with our Creator. It's something that's fixed on God. It will not fluctuate at all based on circumstances. And so let's see what Jesus told his disciples about joy before he was arrested. Now we're going to set this up. The, the context, if you read through the book of John, this is the last night before Jesus is arrested and taken to be beaten and crucified. And so they're in the upper room when this happens, sort of locked away secretly in this upper room. Uh, Judas has already left to go get the guards. He's already been dismissed, so if you know the story and how it plays out, Judas is already gone. Um, based on John's account, Jesus had a lot to say. Most of the, the second half of the book of John is actually just what Jesus said that night. And, and John recording and telling the story of that. Um, in John 14, 16 through 17, Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. And throughout this, this sort of conversation that they're having that night, Jesus is talking about promising the Holy Spirit and then what the Holy Spirit would do and the different things. He promised the Holy Spirit would, would help them. 
that the helper would come. That's the language he used. Then he said that the Holy Spirit would teach them all the things that they needed to know or that they didn't know. The Holy Spirit would come in and fill in all the sort of gaps that Jesus hadn't gotten to, right? In 15.5, Jesus promised that they would bear much fruit as a result. So the Holy Spirit would come, would lead them, would guide them, would teach them, would help them, and that they would bear much fruit. And then in 15.8, he said the Father would be glorified in the bearing of the fruit. So when, the, when we bear fruit, when the disciples bore fruit, when all the Christians throughout history bear fruit, and when we bear fruit, that glorifies God. That's what this is talking about. And then all of this, if you follow the line, gets to the bottom and says to make their joy full. He wanted them to love one another. Talked about that. He promised the Spirit would bear witness about all of this and that they would too. He wanted to make their joy full. So with that in mind, we're going to read, uh, we're going to read about joy from a little bit different sort of passage it's in John 16, just further down in this conversation. But we're going to begin in verse 12, if you will follow along with me there. Jesus speaking says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of the disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father... So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. But Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I mean by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name, but ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. May God bless the reading of this word. Okay. So we start off seeing that Jesus wanted to say more, but he couldn't. His time was limited and he knew that. Uh, with Judas already being gone, going to get the guards, there was kind of a timeline set in motion. And so Jesus had, had his time was crunched down. And, and you know, you, you think about this is after three years of spending time with them and all the things that he would have said and taught them. But you, 
we all know that it's true, right? You can't take all the information at once, right? And so it's this process that unfolds over three years. Um, but even now, even three years in, they weren't ready for everything. After three years of following in his footsteps and listening to him teach and watching him do the things that he did, they still weren't fully ready for what he was talking about. And what that shows us is that there's room for growth. That they were growing, that they were progressing, and that Jesus promised they would continue, that the Holy Spirit would be a part of that growth and help them move further on. And so the same is true for us. As we talk about the fruit of the Spirit and love and joy this week, we, we talk about that there's room for growth in us. I think it's true that every one of us could experience more joy. I think that's true, right? And so that's what God wants for us. I would hope that that's what we want for ourselves, right? I, I showed a picture um, on Wednesday night at the Bible study. It was a picture that a friend of mine had posted of their church, and I feel bad now for this, but it was a picture of their church, and so I, I pulled up the picture real large on my computer and looked at it, and it's a picture from the stage looking out at the audience during their worship service. And, and the faces that the people are making are like, <laughs> they're like mean and mad and, and like I'm here because I have to be. I'm not saying that's their hearts, but that was definitely the faces that they were making is, is all these sorts of, I think I saw maybe, there's a room full of people that probably had to be, I don't know, 100 people there, but there's, there's probably three people that have a pleasant look on their face at all. And it just made me think like, like are we experiencing joy when we come together, in our own lives, especially, but when we come together and, and worship God, we're experiencing joy. I, I hope so. That's my prayer. Um, is, it, is it possible maybe that we've got the wrong impression of what being a Christian is all about, too? Uh, everything is not instantaneous. We, we don't, like, you know, say a prayer and get all the things, Right? Or we don't give our lives to Jesus and everything is right. Everything is perfect from then on. It's just not how it works. Even the work of the Spirit takes time. We need to be patient with ourselves. Because we fail a lot, right? I know I do. If you don't fail a lot, tell me your secret. Like, I want to know your secret. Because I know I do. But, but we need to be patient with ourselves. And, and I know for me that's super hard. I'm not patient with myself. I'm very judgmental with me. And I, when I think about my thoughts and my life and the things I say and the things I do, I get very upset. Um, so for instance, I'll, I'll just make a confession. While Jackson and Bailey were here, um, one night, it was toward the end of their time before they were gonna leave, and I wanted us to kind of have family time together because we don't get that all the time. A lot of times we're in different places or rooms or doing stuff or whatever. So I wanted us to just have sort of a let's eat and watch a show together and have a moment. And I said, I don't care what this show is, but I said what we were going to watch because somebody had already picked it. And Jackson was like, I don't really want to watch that. I'm going to go to my room. And he didn't want to be a part of it. And I got mad because I wanted us to have a family moment. And I yelled at him, which is dumb, right? It's so dumb. It doesn't get the point across that I care about us having a family moment. It, it's like, like and, that's kind of, and I had to go back and apologize to him 
the next day and, and gave him a hug. He was just like, I'm sorry, that's not okay for me to act like that. And so that's an example of the things that I'm not patient with myself about and not patient with others. So I'm like sitting there just grinding myself about, why did you do that? That's so dumb. But we need to be patient with ourselves and we need to be patient with others, with, with the failings of others. Sometimes we can be more patient with ourselves than with others. Sometimes we're real judgmental about other people. And a lot of times it's because we see those same faults in ourselves. So we need to work on that and practice that. Let the Spirit work in us. Let it grow. Let it do the things that need to be done. Jesus promised that the Spirit would guide them, right? That the, the, the Spirit would declare what is coming. This is what's on the horizon for believers and stuff. And that the Spirit would then glorify Him and the Father. That's the sort of the whole role of the Spirit. It would guide them, declare what's coming, glorify Jesus and the Father. And what that means is that the work of the Holy Spirit has to do with uh, revealing and unveiling things, right? And maybe that's in, in us. Maybe that's just something that the Holy Spirit's going to shine the light in the, the place in us that needs the light, right? And there's something dark we need to sort of get the cobwebs out and clear it out. Or maybe it's in the, our congregation. Maybe the Holy Spirit's shining a light on something that we need to step up and do as a body of believers here in this town. I don't know. But there's things that the Holy Spirit is going to reveal and unveil and show us. And if we are going to see joy in our lives, we need to build our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And, and through that, the person and will of God will be revealed. That's how we access it. Now, if joy is an orientation of the heart, we've talked about, based on our relationship with our Creator, then this is the way we experience it. We tap into it through the Holy Spirit that God has given us. Now, immediately after this promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus made a, a curious statement about only being around for a little while, then being gone for a little while, then being back. Uh, we were talking before the service about the, how weird Western Greek-minded linear thinkers, but that Jewish people were cyclical. And this is a very cyclical statement. I'm going to disappear for a little while, then you're not going to see me, then I'll be back after a little while, and you'll see me again. Like this sort of, you know, and it says, if you read the, the, the passage, Y'all heard me read it. Like, oh, he says it like maybe four or five times. The, the same statement comes up over and over again. Now, I've heard this preached that it's about the second coming. Like, I'm going to go away, and then I'm going to come back. And so I've heard it preached that this is about the second coming. But if you read through the whole thing in the context, what it's really pointing to is the crucifixion. I'm going to be taken away for a little while. You won't see me anymore. I'm going to be buried dead. But then a little bit longer, and you will see me. And so that's the resurrection, right? So Jesus is really promising the resurrection. And he doesn't come right out and say it in most of his ministry. He doesn't just come out and say it. He, he says that these things will happen, and these things, he's very prophetic in the way he talks about things. And so that's what's going on here. Jesus is being prophetic in the way he's talking about things, right? His disciples were confused. They're still confused. They've been with him for three years and they still didn't really understand him. And we can easily be sort of judgmental of them. Oh, why not? They were with him all the time. They should have known better, you know? But 
I've been following Jesus for a lot longer than three years, and I don't really understand him that well. Be honest. I just, I, I mean, maybe y'all can be on the same page with that. I, I try to understand him. I try to follow him as best I can, but there's things that confuse me. Love your enemy. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those that curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. That doesn't make sense to me. It's not our normal response for sure. Our normal response is defensive. You're not getting through to me. Or it's aggressive. I'm going to fight back. Right? That's what our normal response to our enemies and things like that are. But Jesus says, you're supposed to love them. And if we're not able to love our enemies, how are we supposed to experience God's joy? I don't think it'll happen that way. Now the teachings of Jesus, don't, they don't always make sense to us because we're born into a world that is the exact opposite of his kingdom. Everything is, is sort of in chaos here, right? And so God's kingdom comes along and it's a whole different thing. But all that to say that Jesus is referring to his death and resurrection here. He's, he's explaining it differently. And then he goes on to say that they will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. See, the world's operating on a different sort of system. And so when, when the troublemaker, the one who's coming along and sort of upsetting the status quo and challenging power and authority, when he comes to town and gets crucified, they're rejoicing. Finally, shut that guy up. We don't want any more, right? He's saying, you guys are weeping a minute because y'all been with me. Y'all know me. Y'all know kind of what's going on here in my life. But they're going to rejoice. You're going to be sorrowful, but then your sorrow will be turned to joy. In other words, it won't last. Sorrow is not permanent. It doesn't work that way. But joy is. God, he goes on to, to sort of draw this parallel with a woman giving birth. Uh, and he says that there's sorrow during the process. And I, I, I was talking about this Wednesday night. And Melissa was at the table, so I let her talk about it more because it was her going through it. But the idea is that there was, there was pain. There was back pain. There was, I'm uncomfortable. There was, I can't lay in this position. There was, I need help getting up. And then when we went finally, I, I think we were talking about when Jackson was born, and we went to have her induced because that was the process that we were going through. When we went to have her induced, they induced her, but they hadn't, hadn't given her her epidural yet. And so she didn't have the pain reliever. So she's in a lot of pain as her body's making the transition to get ready to you know, push the baby out. And I remember holding her hand as she's lying sideways and she's just writhing because she's not comfortable and she's in pain and she's twisting and turning my hand and like tearing my thumb off and it was this whole thing but then we had a baby then we had Jackson and it was such a great moment you know the joy that fills that moment after all the pain and the, the enduring and going through all the sorrow of the, of the moments that led up to it it was this moment of joy. Why do we have to endure pain and sorrow in order to experience joy? That's sort of the big question that comes up in this situation. Well, according to Genesis 
We have pain in birth because of sin. That's how it sort of plays out, right? Adam and Eve take from the tree. As a result, the curses come. And part of the curse is that there's pain in childbirth. But God doesn't just say, and that's it. Good luck. <laughs> Genesis 3.15, the offspring crushes the head of the serpent who led them into this. Right? You will bite his heel, he will crush your head. That's the language. And so the idea is that there's pain in childbirth, but the childbirth will bring something good, something joyful. Now, here's the thing. We are the ones who introduce pain and suffering into the world. God didn't do that. We did. Adam and Eve did it. Cain did it. David did it. Peter did it. Go down the line, and we do it. We introduce pain and suffering into the world. I'm not saying that all the pain and suffering in the world is one person's fault. That's not what I'm saying. But we're just part of the system that adds to that. We, we hurt each other. We're, we get angry. We yell and scream. We say things we don't mean. We, we make decisions that hurt other people and ourselves. We are a part of what bring pain and suffering into the world. That's our part of the equation. It's the part that we bring to the table. But then Jesus shows up. He took the pain and the suffering on his shoulders and he carried them to the cross. And in Colossians 2, 13 and 14, Paul explained it like this. He said, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's talking about the law there, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You see, this changed the equation. We bring the pain and sorrow, but Jesus brings the joy. That's why this is a fruit of the Spirit. That's why it's in there. It comes from having a relationship with the one who takes away our pain and sorrow and gives us joy instead. And if that's what Jesus did, then it's what we should be doing as well. Now granted, we need help, right? That's why we have the Holy Spirit. But there's sort of another layer of this sorrow and joy thing that we need to consider. And it's that growth doesn't come easy. You think about all the great stories, right? All the great adventure stories. All the, the novels or movies or TV shows that we like and sort of, there's this adventure and it's never about everything going just right. I've never seen that story, right? Because that story is not interesting. The stories that are interesting, the stories that we're drawn to, are the stories that sort of parallel our own lives, where there are obstacles and there are things that have to be overcome. It's, it's never from everything going like we expect. Those are sort of the blink moments that we miss. It comes from how we endure adversity. That's where growth comes from. The more we face, the more we endure, the stronger we get. 
the more we're able to face. It's a cycle, right? We face it, we endure it, we get stronger, we face some more. So what are you facing in your life? What are you facing in your family? In your friendships? What are you facing in your relationship with God? And what about when we gather here? What are we facing as a congregation? What are we facing in this town? In loving our neighbors and sharing the good news. If we trust in the Holy Spirit as we face these various challenges, not only will we be able to endure them, we will experience the joy of the Lord as we grow. With a faith rooted in the Holy Spirit, it generates God's love within us, and then we have access to God's joy in our lives. That's what it looks like. Now in verses 23 and 24, Jesus told the disciples to ask the Father in his name. That's why we pray in Jesus' name, right? He says, whatever you ask, he will give. And then he says, until now you haven't asked. Ask and you will receive. And this is an echo of what he said actually in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, where he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So, why don't we ask? Is it because we don't think we deserve it? We hold back because I, I can't ask for that. I don't deserve that. That might be true for some of us. I have, I have that issue. Maybe it's because we don't believe God will actually do it. Well, I can ask this thing. God, I'm not going to do that. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's has to do with how much we trust God, or maybe maybe. We believe God can do it, but we don't want whatever, whatever comes with it. We don't want to count the cost. We don't want to make sacrifices. Maybe it's bits of all three. But are we willing to let go of things in our lives that are holding us back from experiencing God's joy? Or are we going to just tenaciously hold on to those things? These are my things. I'm not letting go. Because I think that's what ends up leading to sour, mad faces in church worship and in life in general. Are we willing to ask the Father? Jesus promised that if we would ask the Father for anything in his name, we would just receive it. Now this doesn't mean anything at all. God, give me a million dollars. It's not that. Right? It's not that. It means anything in Jesus' name. In other words, anything that conforms to the will of Jesus and his life and his path. But there's goodness in that. There's goodness for us in our lives in that. And that may be the part that keeps us from asking. Because we want things our way. 
We want joy in what we have chosen. God, I'm going to go this way and give me joy over here. That's not how it works. There's joy in the path of Christ. And there's not joy outside of that. There may be happiness. There may be good moments. There may be smiles and laughter. But there's not that joy from our relationship with the Creator that can fill us and make us full. Jesus wants us to experience his joy. He wants us to overflow with joy so that others are affected by it as well. But any joy that comes outside of God's will isn't really joy at all. It's just rebellion, ultimately. If we want to experience joy, we need to trust the Holy Spirit and lean in for the adventure that follows. Will you pray with me?